Hey everyone, this is Bruce Sheffer of Gaming on the Frontier. Thanks for being with us uh, from the transition from the old sports show format to the new one, but uh, we are still having a lot of episodes that were recorded before we made the change, so we're going to still have to drop those, and they'll have the old format. So please bear with us until we get to the new material. Uh, in the meantime, uh, some one of our hosts, John Ryer, who was a host, is now has his own game studio and is busy producing new games. And we wish him the best, but he's no longer a host. So thanks to John for all the years uh, that he has given to this podcast. And we hope that you will purchase his games and continue to listen to Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Your podcast where you go through a portal and find out why is my crystal key missing? What do you mean you were you were holding it that I dropped it? Kiefer Sutherland as Rassilon? Jeez. Yes, folks. Tonight we are continuing my little series within a series of adding Fringeworthy 2. I've been paying attention to favored D&D settings put out by both TSR and Wizards of the Coast. Tonight we are doing, well, let's just say two words that will explain it. And will probably put a shiver of fear through most longtime role players. The possibility of it. Fringeworthy Kender. That's right. We are adding Fringeworthy to the Dragonlance setting created by Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss. That's something else I want to bring up on this because I often talk about this and John and I bounce this back and forth. And it's mm -hmm. the it's the question that has come up on the previous episodes with Greyhawk Forgotten Realms and it will come up with Eberron when I do that later. Will guns work on this world? Now, hmm. here's the thing. I looked. I looked, 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 looked. I went on old forums and firearms on Kryn. I believe his name was DM Joe Salart on the DLForums.com. He brought up the idea of... Now, he's kind of taken from... The Forgotten Realms example here. There is the gnomish and dwarven god Reorks, who supposedly made all the races. When the gray gem flew overhead in the sky over Kryn, a species speciated, and some became the dwarves, some became the humans, elves. Okay, fine. They he this DM Joe Salor kind of said, Well, you can make gunpowder a gnomish or dwarvish invention, but it has to be blessed by a cleric of Reorks. Which means for a good part of Corinne's history, there would be no gunpowder because there are no gods. 
I'm kind of like, I'm looking at this thing going, okay, yeah, that kind of smacks of Faroon and Gond with the Lantanese gnomes. I'm just saying, look at what the gnomes do. Look at all of the things that have blown up on Kryn over all the time that you've seen. Do you really want gnomes to be inventing gunpowder? No! Now, if a human comes in to Kryn with a firearm, never let a gnome find out you have this firearm, because when they find out, they will want to know what it does. And then they will try to start making... If you think Mount Nevermind had the top blown off before, wait till you give a gnome a chance. And, and we're not talking a mad gnome. We're talking a tinker gnome. Wait until you give him the chance to try to invent gunpowder. Hey, if they have chicken cannons, they already have something. They already know the basis for, for gunpowder weapons. Well, and it's funny because... Mount Nevermind, it's hollowed, it's a hollowed out volcano. It is active, so you basically got the lava core at the bottom. Massive terraces going around every level inside, and it's not a spiral, they are levels. If you want to go down, you climb a rope. If you want to go up, you get catapulted and you get caught in the net. And that's how you go from like ground floor. I need to go up to the 15th level. Ah! Thud. I'm good. Yeah. And I'm just like, only a gnome would think of that. They wouldn't come up with the elevator. They would catapult you. <laughs> no. Gnomes, gnomes start messing with gunpowder. No. Just, and I'm, I'm seeing that. Up. They, they just gone. They're gone. All of them are just poof. Yeah. However, I'm seeing what I'm looking on the on the uh, Dragonlance uh, on in the lexicon. There's the steam cannon, so they already understand the concept of of because basically all the gunpowder really does is provide you with a small compact powder that basically turns into a very hot gas, which then propels the charge down the barrel. It's the hot gas expanding, which is what pushes the, the bullet down the barrel. Yeah, they have, they have steam cannons. They already know the basis for it, and they go, oh, so you're just using chemicals to make gas. We have lots of gas. Yeah, they have lots of gas. Yeah. And lots of chemicals. Yeah, and they might actually come up with something that doesn't use gunpowder and is just as effective. Hey, butane works. You're missing the point there. They would just—they have steam cannons already. They already know the process. If they want to blow themselves up, they can make a—they can make a steam mega cannon and blow themselves up. They already know how to do that. I think. I think there might be what is the term a moratorium on gunpowder. I think they. I think the. The Council of Guilds in Mount Nevermind would have said, no, we're done with this. No, we are not going down this path anymore. That might have been what probably blew the top off of Mount Nevermind. I don't think it was a volcanic explosion. Again, like Nick Fury says, I'm willing to bet folding money that it was <laughs> some type of mechanical mishap, probably involving either a steam engine or gunpowder. And the Gnomish Council of Guilds just said, no, we're done here. This this path of exploration is done. <laughs> uh, yeah, because if they went further down that path, they wouldn't just blow the top off. Oh no, no, the They'd island of Gunther would be 
the island of the Isle of Gunther would be. Well, the, the trouble is, is that there are a lot of paths that lead you to things better than gunpowder. Yeah, but still, it looks like Krakatoa. <laughs> no, we're talking. We're talking like uh, like ammonia nitrate, no, which is a pro- which is a product of various, basically from you know, composting. You can get nitrates from composting, yeah. and nitrates can with other chemicals can make things that they make gunpowder look like a firecracker. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no. I'm I'm seeing Josie. I'm seeing where John's going with this, being our resident science guy. I just, know yeah. where he's going with this. You just don't I want to be along for the ride. <laughs> That's the stuff that would that would make it look like what's left of Krakatoa. Yeah. Heck, all you need is sulfuric acid and cotton. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. They'll have plenty of that. Yeah. Yeah, they make gun cotton. I mean, they have sulfur. It's a volcano for crying out loud. They have sulfur. They have sulfuric acid. Hey, look. See what happens when I mix cotton with sulfuric acid and do a couple other things? I make this thing. It burns really well. Yeah, so Ooh. I would think if a gnome were to ever get his hand on a firearm from Earth Prime or whatever, yeah, they would just be like, well, what's this? Well, it's this and this, and the council goes, remember? And he would point up to where the top of the mountain was. It'd be like, remember that? Yeah. Give the gun back. And he also says, he also says, um... It's not well designed. Well, no, because remember, the tinker gnomes would be like, well, no, see... You need more bells and whistles and lights on it. This is too compact. It, it's not, you know, yeah. What you need is extra shells down the barrel so you can actually do stage explosions and propel the bolt even faster. Yeah, and they would just, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just seeing that, yes. They would if, either want to want to add more bells and whistles to it, as you put it, or get that thing out of here. Yeah. Well, my, my thing is, is that... Um, Yeah, so gunpowder would work. It's just you don't want to get... There's no prohibition against it. From what I read, I did the research. Not a problem with it, you know, going and, you know, you let's say you run into some draconians. Now, remember, some of the draconians turn to stone, others explode into acid. You're not going to want to be near them, and if they're coming at you, you're going to want to gun them down before they get to you. It's just you don't want a gnome getting a hold of the firearm. The firearm will work just fine. There is, from what I saw, no moratorium on where, oh, it has to be alchemical smoke powder or, you know, whatever. No, it works. It or the god, or the gods are fiddling with the mixture so it doesn't work properly. So firearms would work. And, of course, that is something you have to ask on these worlds because these fantasy settings have different rules for, you know, they didn't want firearms in. We discussed this in Forgotten Realms with alchemical smoke powder. We discussed it in Greyhawk with only the Merlin, the paladins of Merlin can use firearms. So here in this world, yes, they work. Just don't let a gnome get his hands on your, on your, even a bullet. Mm-hmm. Because that'll just be a bad day for everybody. So mm-hmm. um, let's see, is there anything else about the world that a new visitor would need to know? Oh, uh, here's a quick question. Um Technology. How well do computers work in this world? Um, there's no prohibition for technology. I mean, the gnomes, I remember the gnomes got up to PL4 at the very least. So if you give gnomes another couple hundred years, they would have electronics going. 
just oh yeah they were just yeah the i i think all the technology would be fine there's no no i'm saying holy crap over the gnomish steam cannon it has a range of 500 yards understand your average 12 pounder on the field of battle 200 yards oh this thing is better than anything we fielded in in in, in civil war this is a steam cannon. They have something that makes that makes our gunpowder cannons look like you know tinker toys. <laughs> mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So they may look at your gun saying, oh, "What's the range on it? Oh, a uh, hundred yards." <laughs> yeah. It's worthless. <laughs> and it'd be right compared to what they could probably make. Yeah. So, yeah, technology, as far as I can see, like computers and radios would all work just fine. Once you do the photovoltaic recharger and reboot all your stuff, all that stuff would work fine. There's no prohibition from what I've read in my 25, 30 years of knowing of this setting. And this is actually something I should have asked on on, on Greyhawk. Uh, Any chance of your laptop talking back to you after a while? As far as what? As in, literally talking back to you. As in becoming sentient. Well, there's no reason why any item can't be um, uh, enchanted and, and, and given an ego. The right. question yeah. is, uh, what would it take for a laptop to be considered to be a masterwork item? Well, considering that we're designing laptops to operate probably off of fuel cells and using non-volatile memory so that they actually can survive going through the portals yeah. and not lose all their memory, they kind of actually do qualify as masterwork. Yeah, because they, yeah, well, because remember, we decided, uh, me and um, my gamer, Tommy, he um, said that in order to go through the fringe pass, you would have to use flash drive level technology so it wouldn't get wiped. A normal magnetic hard drive gets wiped when it goes to the fringe pass. You can carry a flash drive through and it's just fine. So a lot of we decided that the Unita based laptops are flash drive technology. And the thing is though, having said that, when we did D twenty uh French worthy, that was true. It would have been a masterwork. These days, uh, an Apple Airbook, it's a flash drive. It uses a flash drive. For its memory. I mean, the thing's so thin, there's no way you can fit anything other other than a flash drive inside of the thing. Yeah. But, but they're more robust. Basically, they are on the military side of things. That is, you can drop one from 100 feet and still pick it up and use it. You drop a, any laptop from 100 feet, you just go, okay, I gotta get a new laptop. You now have a, a paperweight with a 15-inch diagonal screen. Yeah. Um, so... As I said, I have no moratorium on technology being prohibited in any way. Computers work, firearms work, diesel engines work. No weird spirits that would inhabit any of those things and take them over? Oh, no, that, that would be purely a plot device brought on by the GM. Yeah, I've never heard of a where your technology gets inhabited. I'm just wondering where you got that idea from. That's why I'm kind of just... Bureau 13. <clears throat> One of the enemies is a virus. Oh, uh, 9640, I think it's called? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, give a, give a Noma computer 
Oh no! Just of course again, more bells was. First off, you, you, you put you put the loop on, going. I can't even see that. This is so fine. Uh, I need something better than this jeweler's loop to see the work on this on this little bit of piece right here that pried off the inside of your computer. <laughs> You're going. You you did what? <laughs> yeah, all these little chips I pried out of the inside of your computer of your lap of your of your laptop. You know, with you know with. And you're sitting there just looking at this dome, and it's like, no one will miss him. There isn't a court that would convict me. Yeah. Um, oh, no, if I was yeah. the tech geek and this gnome took apart my laptop, yeah, I'd be like, oh, no, I'm going to need help hiding the body. Yeah. Um, hey, I, I, I don't think you'll need help hiding the body. Well, that is true. I, one person. Active volcano. If it's, yeah. if it's a mad gnome, it's a good chance he may actually put it back. Yeah, well, together. no, mad gnome, remember, mad gnomes are the ones that are actually technically savvy. They're not trying to, you know, they they don't have this weird mindset of if it didn't blow up, it didn't work. We tried to do it. It ended up either blowing up or doing something totally unexpected. That is the weird gnomish mindset that that is normal. If you were to give technology to a "quote unquote" mad gnome, it would figure it out and and adapt to modern technology quite well. Yeah, actually, I'm looking at the the write up on the steam can again. Sorry about going back to steam can, but it's made from lava lava resistant alloys. Understand this: we're talking alloys that can resist a minimum of two thousand twenty five thousand twenty five hundred degrees Fahrenheit. In temperature, we're talking tungsten alloys. We're talking things, you know, at the high end, titanium So that alloys. means They're the making... gnomes, at the very least, have metallurgy down. Oh, yeah. Big way. Yeah, yeah. So the can's made from lava-resistant alloys and mounted on the pivot. Has a waterline entrance from the rear. And it can handle the pressure. Because they're basically hitting a large, superheated... Superheated mass uh, mass inside the can with, with cold water, and the can does not explode. Yeah, that constant that that constant hot to cold would crack most metals. Yeah, it would have to be some very high high strength alloy. Yep, and it has to be some sort of valve because if you just have it open, it would just yeah. There's got to be a valve of some sort to allow you to fire the cannon. Uh, good lord. Um, oh, if it's not operated correctly, it will, it, then it's highly likely it will explode. Okay, so that makes sense. So, yeah, if you don't, if you're not sure what you're doing, yeah, it can blow up in your face. But if you know what you're doing, you got a crack team of five gnomes operating it, you got range of something along the line of a modern naval gun. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, now that we've dealt with the eight portals, now. You have the system platform. Yes, as I, I believe, the author of Crin Space, the old Spelljammer supplement, was Gene Rabe. And so, yes, there is a solar system in Crin Space. Again, it's a crystal sphere for going by the Spelljammer lexicon that they have. And, I, and, of course, I try to plot it out as best I can to our solar system. So for Earth Prime, I believe it's Titan, Io, two on Venus, three on Mars, and then the asteroid belt. I just try to keep it synced up for ease of 
Uh, let's see here. What other things did I miss here really quick? Okay, magic. Um, yeah, let's say you have spellcasters in your party. This is something else I got to bring up. Arcane magic. Hi, unless you've gone to the Towers of High Sorcery and you're wearing either red, white, or black robes, you're considered a rogue spellcaster, and most wizards of the of the Towers of High Sorcery will hunt you down. If you do not go to the tower and go through the test in order to wear the robes, rogue spellcasters are persona non grata. Divine spellcasters? Um, well, considering your god is not part of the pantheon here, usually how I do it is, unless there is some facet of the god on that world, usually it just defaults to, okay, whatever your deity is, the closest one to it on this world. Well, considering the deity sort of backed off until 351 AC, yeah. So, 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 Father Murphy, so Father Murphy, the good Catholic, would be out of sorts here, wouldn't he? Yes, because of the lack of, if it's a healing god, it would be Mishakal. He was sort of, uh, let's say, you know, the faith healing type. Let's say it was not so much father. It was, you know, like the right reverend, you know, the, the southern televangelist with the faith healer who actually heals. Well, let's say, you know, Mishakal ain't, ain't answering calls, so to speak. So the right reverend doesn't have his healing ability. Let me lay my healing hands on you. What do you mean it doesn't work? Because the healing goddess, who would be closest to what he does, as I said, ain't picking up a phone. So divine magic, basically in D20 Modern, your acolytes, because that was the equivalent of the cleric in D20 Modern, they're kind of nerfed. Unless you want to bring in, well, my god's not part of the thing. Well, still, you got to take into account the verisimilitude of divine magic. As I said, usually I just have it, okay, if you're from another world and you come on this world, it's sort of the god on this world that has the closest similarity to what your god is. It, it kind of takes over. It's sort of like, okay, this one follows mine close enough, I'll look. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick up his slack. Yeah, okay, here's your spells, yeah. But yeah, so divine magic until 351 when... Gold Moon starts, you know, letting people read the discs of Mishakal. Yeah, if you're an acolyte or a cleric from another realm, yeah, you're going to be kind of SOL on this. Yeah, because like 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 Father Murphy, he's one of he's of the uh, bureau team of uh, Team Fremont. He he's mostly blessings, and I think he may have a healing spell, but he's your 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 stereotypical you know Catholic priest. So yeah, I guess he wouldn't be uh, all too effective, all too all that effective here. Yeah, in this world, yeah but still, it's kind of like the Danny you're trying to rage isn't here right now. Leave a message after the blah. <laughs> yeah. Yahweh is not here right now. Please leave a please leave a note, and maybe he'll get back to you. Okay, now the system platform. Okay, Kryn has three moons: Solanari, Nuatari, and Lunatari. Um, nothing about the, those moons, the system platform, you're fine. Now, however, as I said, I kind of equated them to the 
planets in in Earth Prime system platform, which thankfully most of them kind of equated. So Portal 1 on the system platform would be Nezhmyth. It's a swamp world full of Neogian umber hulks, and you basically end up in the middle of a bog filled with monsters. So yeah, Nezhmyth, I believe, is, yeah, it'd be equivalent to Saturn. Because there's, it doesn't have moons, so I just put it on that planet. Now a Neogi. Let's see. Some of you younger gamers might not know what a Neogi is. Imagine a cross between an eel and a spider. It's got the long, sinewy neck on a spider toric body. An Umber Hulk, imagine a, uh, a hybrid between a gorilla and a beetle. Josie knows about this because of the Time Lords and Magic campaign, and that's kind of our main foe right now, the Neogi and the Umberhulks. So she knows what they are. But basically, you got to remember a lot of the system stuff for Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms, and Kryn all come from the old Spelljammer stuff, which 2nd and 3rd edition still had the Neogi and Umberhulks. Basically, interstellar slavers. And the Umber Hulks were just sort of their brute force. Because Neogis are only maybe two or three feet tall. They'll ride on the shoulder of their seven to eight foot tall Umber Hulks. And so this, this jungle world, Nezhmyth, is it's a Neogi trade world. And usually only the Neogi and the Flares and all them would stop off on this world. Most spell jammers would stay away because they know it's a super omnivoric ecosystem. If you remember Dagobah from... Uh, Empire Strikes Back, imagine a lot more animals. Second portal, uh, Majer, which is a moon of the planet Zibelin. Yes, Majer, the moons, the 12 moons of Zibelin were all named after the deities of Kryn. It's a dwarf, a dwarf-owned spell jamming mining and trading post between two mountain ranges, basically in a mountain valley. So, yeah, you would be there and just, yeah, you would notice that, yeah, there's a lot of metals and gems and whatnot, and, you know, they mine here, and we can get... So it would be a good place if you wanted to find precious metals and gems to take with you, and, and what is the term that Rich had for the old 92? The Amusa Savage Kit. I remember, I know Bruce and John remember that from the 92 edition. It has... Little like spark, yeah. sparkly bobble things to, well, and a complete loot like some uh, pots and pans and things that people can actually use. So you know knives and things like that. It, it's basically meant for people who don't have. Uh, where iron working is the next is the next step beyond bronze working. PL zero, PL one natives. Yeah. Portals three and four. Go to the planet Reorks. Now, the thing about the planet, a lot of the planets in this system, how can I say this? They are basically, the gods are watching the system through the planets that have been named after them. Reorks, the planet, is like a giant crystal ball for Reorks, the deity. As I said, this is the patron saint, the patron deity of the dwarves and gnomes of this system. Now, the third portal, I, it's a very Earth-like world, very little surface water. 
and it was a it's a spell jamming port of dwarven design. It's very orderly. Streets are probably in a grid design. Now the other spell jamming, the other portal on Reorks, it's of gnomish design. It's a very hodgepodge and willy-nilly and just different architectural styles and it's a maze. It'd be like driving, it'd be like between driving in New York and driving in Boston. And yes, I know how Boston roads are because my warm-up act on Dementia Radio lives there. He goes, yeah, it's like a maze. Yes. So, yeah, if you go to Reorks, Portals 3 and 4, you're either going to be going to the Dwarven, very orderly and clean spell jamming port, or the Gnomish one where you can get lost easily. Fifth, sixth, and seventh portals all go to the planet Chislev, which would be equivalent to the fourth planet in the system. It is a very dense jungle world. I put the first one, it is a small spell jamming port led by an Asian woman named Mai Ling. Now, she is actually from the Forgotten Realms. Now remember, between Orth, Toral, and Kryn, there's travel between, they call it the Golden Triangle. Now you have to go through Toral's Crystal Sphere if you want to travel between Orth and Kryn. This woman came from Tor from Toral, the Forgotten Realms world, the Asian-themed area known as Shaolung, and has set up this trading post here on Chislev, the fourth planet in the Kryn system. The sixth portal ends up in a hill giant village, and the seventh portal ends up in a jungle elf village. You can substitute, like, wild elves for this. They'll suffice. Now, the eighth and final portal, there is an asteroid belt in this system, and they're known as the Stellar Islands. They're at the edge of the system. So they would be out there in the Uranus-Neptune area. Not quite Kuiper Belt-Pluto area, but definitely what would be qualified as the outer system. Now, the Stellar Islands are asteroids with tropical climes and rainbow bridges connecting them all. The largest asteroid, jungle covered with active volcano. It would I would have that as a portal because there are societies that have been set up all throughout these asteroids, and a lot of them are just spell-jamming crews that have just decided to live their lives out here. There is something unique about these stellar islands, these asteroids. And again, this is in the spell jamming books. If you stay on the island for more than three months, you become healthier. Now, in game, that means you gain maximum hit points per hit die. So if you are a three hit dice creature, let's say you have you're a third level fighter and you have an 18 con. That would be 1d10 plus 4. You would automatically have 42 hit points by the time you stay there more than three months. And it's due that the islands, these asteroids, are... What's the term? They're good aligned. 
for some reason, just the powers of good are dominant in the asteroid belt. The rainbow bridges were made by very powerful spellcasters to connect the asteroids together. But the good effect, that is something of the gods. So if you live out here, after about three months, you're going to notice that you're getting healthier because you get maximum hit points per hit die. So, and and it's you can do however system you want to do it. For OGL Pathfinder, it would still work the same. Your why MMB? Your mileage may vary. Uh, John, how would that fit out in Savage Worlds? Um, I would say you'd heal faster. Okay, definitely, definitely. If you're injured, you'd heal faster. If you are. If you're suffering from an illness, you actually may get a bonus to your vigor check to uh, do recover from. Okay, it. all right. Basically, it'd be, it'd be like you're being, in terms of you, you be like you're receiving basic medical care, so you get that bonus. So, if you're just healing by yourself with no help, eh, there's no bonus. But if you are healing with with assistance, you get a bonus. So it'd be like you're healing with assistance, even though they're. You're just there okay, so it's not that you gain more hit dice or hit points or pips or whatever. As I said, folks, my knowledge of Savage Worlds is still very minimal. Even though I've made the character uh, Duke Wellington here on the podcast a few years back, and I got to play Savage Rips with Sean Patrick Bannon, I'm still kind of weak on the rules. That's why I asked Bruce and John. Yeah, um, because there really aren't hit points. You have you have uh, your vigor, and your vigor is what controls... How how much damage you can resist? Okay. So there's no hit points per se. It's just how much damage you can resist. Now, trouble is that's a die, and and giving giving you another a new die. That's actually uh, that that's that's an advance on your character. So that actually is something in the game that you would have. That's it's breaking the rules. So I would say more like this is a place that's easier for you to heal. Yeah. You heal quicker here. Yes. And you resist diseases. You get a bonus to resist diseases, and you get a bonus to recover from diseases. Because here it's just maximum hit points for hit die. Nothing about ability drain or damage. It's just it deals with hit points. That's all that it deals with here. So, yeah, that would be a personal preference. Like, oh, yeah, disease. It's like, eh, if I were to go by that, it'd be like, if you take ability drain for a disease, you're still going to heal the ability drain normally. It's just if there's any hit point... That's going to be your big thing. So, but yeah, these stellar islands, this asteroid belt about where it'd be about in the Uranus Neptune area of the system, relatively, as far as compared to our solar system. If you stay there more than three months, you will gain this hit point benefit. So, that is how the system platform plays out for coming to. The Kryn system off the fringe paths. Yeah, I'm looking at the Kryn space uh, entry on Dragonlands Lexicon on the uh, uh, what is it, the Nexus, and uh, yeah, it's a heliocentric universe, or at least a heliocentric um, system out to about looks like two billion miles. So it's it's big. But it's not as big as our solar system, but it's big enough. Yeah. Okay. 
Are there stars, or are the stars just on the painted on the dome? I believe it's another painted on the dome thing. Remember, it's the crystal sphere model that I got all this information from. There was, as I said, another campaign model that was put out years ago called Far Space, where your will of belief got rid of the crystal sphere and the phlogiston, and you ended up flying through space. And the flavor text for it was funny because here's this guy who was on, he'd gone spell jamming hundreds of times, but he was now this on the ship that they believe they were of the far space mentality. And he's on the ship and all of a sudden you see all the people on the deck just all of a sudden just concentrating with their eyes closed. Meanwhile, this spell jammer is looking going, we're not stopping. And all of a sudden at the last minute, the crystal sphere disappears and it's just more stars because the mentality of the, of the far space vessel crew changed that reality where, no, there's no crystal sphere. You're just going, you're leaving the system now. There's no phlogiston. There's no having to deal with that crystal sphere and you're good. And all of a sudden the guy looks behind and he sees, you know, the sun in the background and just, you know, yeah. There's no crystal sphere behind him because of the will of belief changed the reality. So as I said, if you can look up far, far space, I was about to say farscape, far space in context to Spelljammer, you will see this different, and then you could do the stars because they don't deal with that, so it's kind of hard to make a star platform for these settings. Are you sure it's not far escapes? No, it is a uh, far space. As I said, it it sounds like far realm. No, the far realm is sort of the Cthulhu dimension where weird type things come out. Right. Yeah. Uh, bingo. Here we go. The plane of the it is lost.spelljammer.org/nightfall with a K. Okay, I knew it. And now I'm clicking the link. I don't want to. Oh, come on. But yeah, that was, uh, yeah, an introduction to far space. Riley Hanolder couldn't believe his luck as a xenoform expert in Baron Stone, a small asteroid city in Allard space. His chance to study other races and cultures were limited. It's hard to start. Some, yeah. I. Oh, it took too long to respond. Well. Yeah, I found a uh, oh, wild space. There we go. Well, space in the plane of the unseen infinity. Yeah, that's that's the site. Yeah, and it was just taking too long to. Uh, it means it's either they uh, it's it's one of those sites where it's not long for this world. Yeah, it <laughs> said too took too long to respond, but yeah, basically that was the concept. If you want to try to do a star platform, also, and I'm trying to remember. The Aegis system, it was a campaign for the Dragon Star setting, where basically Dragon Star from Fantasy Flight Games basically allowed you to put all your D&D fantasy worlds in one galaxy. And they actually, this guy actually computed out, <clears throat> excuse me, the distances between, in light years, between Toro, Kryn, and Orth. Uh, the Piazza 
piazza.org.uk is where you can find this, P-I-A-Z-Z-A. And .org.uk. And there I would say just look up the Arcanum of the Stars, A-R-C-A-N-U-M of the Stars. Robert Blazard, who... I just found a place for a restaurant called the Piazza. Piazza.org.uk. Anyways, there is uh, a map, and it's on the border of the domains of Goliath and Altair, which, if you know the Dragon Star setting, those are dragon-owned wedges of the galaxy that they have. And there is a map that puts... Liga, which is the star for Orth, Amonator, which is the star for Toral, and Sirion, which is the star for Kryn, on the frontiers of these two domains in Dragonstar, which, let's see, from the galactic plane, Liga is 17 light-years above and 15 light-years away from a monitor, which is 98 below the galactic plane, and Syrian is 10 light years from Amatar and 67 below the galactic plane. Do the math, folks. Um, but basically, yeah, if you do that math, you can compute out light years as per the Arcanum of the Stars between Liga, a monitor, and Syrian, or Orth, Toral, and Kryn, respectively. I enjoyed that because that was, I, as I said, I tend to throw a little bit of tech into my D&D every so often. So, yeah, I did that, and I did the math way, way back and figured it out. So, yeah, the Robert Blizzard came up, and it's B-L-E-Z-A-R-D. And so he came up with this whole thing about the Dragon Empire, the bad guys in the Dragon Star setting, invading the Forgotten Realms world. It was very good fanfic. I, I'm, I'm sad that he hasn't continued it. But he made up this map and put the three D&D worlds there. So, yes. Um, no, no, it's not canon. It's this guy's campaign. But it would be a good resource for people to use. Because so far, we have done Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms, and we're doing Dragonlance now which is known as the Golden Triangle because those three worlds were in that V-shaped path with the phlogiston going out from Toral to both Orth and Kryn. Now, I will say I'm having trouble finding that. So if you could copy the link and paste it in the chat, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> he says... I tried, yeah, I tried, and I keep coming up with that, play, that restaurant in the UK. Is it Piazza or The Piazza? The Piazza. Ah, that's a forum, though, so I guess it's buried in the forum someplace. Yeah, doing it now, just a second. We don't want our listeners to work for this information. Oh, no. There. Bitte schön. Anyways. So, yeah. um, Now, the question that is always thrown out when you go to this world what do you what is united going to get from this world 
Well, it's going to be a story versus world. Most likely, your guys are going to get dragged into the War of the Lands somehow. You're going to be dealing with dragon over dragon high lords and hobgoblin, you know, crooked hobgoblin um, burgermeisters. I guess would be the best way because few master toad runs the area of Solus. And you're going to be dealing with xenophobic elves and Kender. And there are. Where was this? I will need this for a second. Uh, special materials. Well, there are certain. There, there are the dragon lances. Yes, there would be, considering that's the name of the, the particular cannon. Um, there are certain special metals that might be useful. Oh, uh, heck, we already talked about one, the lava-proof uh, alloys the gnomes create. Definitely probably not magical. Probably basically a nickel-titanium alloy of some, or tungsten-titanium alloy of some sort. Yeah, so yeah, uh, there you go. Advanced I can see those alloys being very useful in the aerospace industry. Oh yes, you know we just have to f figure out how because typically, typically though, those, I mean when we built the SR seventy one, they had to invent titanium machining machining because they couldn't machine titanium with normal metal to metal tools. They actually had to make special tools to machine all the titanium parts on the SR seventy one. So yeah, yeah, we know we've done it once before. We can do it again. <laughs> There is dragon metal, which are, can be found beneath the stone dragon in Foghaven Vale, welling up from the earth in a pool of cool liquid metal. I'm seeing mithril here. Glistening silver and light and steel, but just as strong and durable. Yeah, see, that's the thing. It's the whole magic metal thing again. Yeah, yeah. It, if, it's, if it's mithril silver, guess what it turns into when you take it 18 hours later? Silver. And then they have star metal, which is adamantine. Fine. Um, it turns to iron, or it may turn to titanium, one or the other. Yeah. yeah. Iron wood. Rare magical wood is as light as normal wood, but hard as the metal, which is the tree is named after. It's an Abenacinian Qualinesti. That, however... Known for the difficulty in harvesting them with the techniques for doing so being a closely guarded guild secret. That could be uh, double-talked and saying, oh, it naturally grows... Uh, carbon nanotubes with graphene skin. So it's basically, yeah, it's as hard as iron because and as light as wood. Now, if it could be transplanted, yes. That would be one, you know, as the great songwriter Cole Porter wrote, delightful, delicious, and lovely. Oh yeah, so I can I can see you know your your version of the bounty with a with a with a with a truck full of saplings heading for someplace, and you got your your commander going, Mister Bly, make sure those trees are taken care of. <laughs> I yeah, um, so yeah, the ironwood, if that grew, if you could transplant seeds and saplings to another world, oh no, the new Commonwealth would have just. And this is negative 17 primes. This isn't all that far out. Depending on how you want this world to go, this world could be found in early middle campaign, maybe. So, yeah, this is a relatively, this would be a relative. Remember, I put 
Forgotten Realms out at like negative 103 prime. And Greyhawk, I want to say negative 70. It's been a while since the Greyhawk one. But yeah, the Iron one, oh, that would be a terrific boon. I'm doing quick research on Ironwood because Earth has Ironwood. Um, quick research. How, how tough is it? It's not as tough as iron. Okay, well, then this would be, you know... Tough as iron. Yeah, carbon, as you said, carbon nanotubes organically grown with the wood, and yeah, so... And probably lots of silicates as well. Well, also, they said trying to harvest it is a problem. You would probably need modern cutting tools like diamond blades or laser cutters in order to cut this stuff down. And it would have to be something you'd have to range with the Abanasinian and Qualinesti logging guilds in order to do. Because if you just go and we find this out and you start cutting them down, at the very least you're going to get an axe in your back. At the very most you're going to get elven. You're going to turn be turned into an elven pincushion. Because remember, one of the conventions on these worlds, if you're going near, you come through a portal and you're near an elven forest and they don't like you, the last thing you'll see is an arrow sticking up through your chest from the back. Now, something else I wanted to say. Now, a mad gnome, having a mad gnome all of a sudden, let's say you find out a mad gnome is fringeworthy, he's got nothing to lose. He got kicked out by his family. He's left to wander this world. And all of a sudden you show him the portal and tell him that, no, this isn't tech. This was grown. You introduced Termelon technology to a mad gnome? Oh. And again, any of you longtime gamers will be afraid of this. Fringeworthy Kender. There are certain parts of me that puckered up as soon as, you know, Gina said that when Perky got. And I'm just Oh my goodness, they're out. Because but how worse are they than from Kegak or other races we've well, encountered? No, well, no, no, no. The Kender good. <laughs> they are, I would say, they would epitomize chaotic good. Yeah. They, so they, they, don't, they never see, as you said, Trav, they don't see the stealing. They're, you just aren't using it right now. Yeah, and their exactly. culture, yeah. oh, personal ownership is a very thinly attached thing. So, <laughs> you know, it's like as long as it co- yeah. as long as it's there when you need it or something similar is around when you need it. No, it's all I good. So, I yeah, that can just basically see a, a bunch of these Kender just buzzsawing their way through a a, a, a IDET um, a supply dump. <laughs> oh, yeah, just... Well, as I said, if you learn to redirect the natural learned skills of a Kender, and if you can get him to be on board with, like, yeah, well, we need people to go in and sneak around and check stuff out and, you know, pick up anything interesting, you know, that might be... If you can redirect a Kender, and I've noticed this with ADHD, if you can redirect them, that's why Perky Goth and I work so well together plotting campaigns. Re, you know, she gets me out of the hyper focus, and I keep her on target, so it works well. If you can get a Kender to stay on the mark, keep him to the mark, you would have a fantastic recon specialist. Just 
go in there and scope things out and come back in 10 minutes and tell us what you see? Oh, yeah. But you got to play to their strengths. We need you to get the keys off that guard. Five minutes later, here are your keys. How did you, you know, because Kendra are that good. They're in, like they, not like a duck mating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the gnomes with how technically advanced they are, if they're two tech levels above the rest of the world, they're going to grasp the high tech. As I said, preferably get the mad gnomes as opposed to the tanker gnomes, or otherwise you're going to be seeing a lot of things explode and wondering why your car's taken apart all over the platform. And Kender, you just got to keep an eye on them. A lot of times, they're going to have to, you're going to have them sit on their hands. I tried playing a Kender in someone else's campaign, and just my character, Keenan Tapdazzler, just I'd sit on my hands a lot because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't say anything. If I knew, I'd, they'd be like, Keenan? I'm like, what? <laughs> I wasn't going to touch it, honestly. I was just looking at it. You don't look with your hands. Darn. You know. So the races in and of themselves, and again, it's a D&D world. You have the geek factor. Oh, my gosh, we're on Dragonlance. And all of a sudden, you start checking your pockets because you wonder if they're tender around. Um, but we've mentioned things. We've mentioned the Ironwood. We've mentioned um, the potential for gnomish tech. The metallurgy, the lava-resistant alloys. And remember, Mount Nevermind, there's that, that Garrett village, that little port town with the knights garrison and the academy, there are going to be gnomes in that town. The gnomes of Mount Nevermind, they do travel because they want to find out other things. Not all of the life quests are going to be involved in Mount Nevermind using gnomish records. They're going to want to go out and test their inventions. They might want to find out. My, my family's life quest is to find out, oh, the birth rate of, of the Salamnian Empire. So we're going to find out how often people in Salamnia have kids and all that. And so they, they live in Salamnia, which is far to the north and east of Gunther. But I think the scene can came from a totally different location entirely, too, as I, I believe, though. Uh, I forgot it mentioned a different mountain where they were being used on. So ah. I guess... Yeah, basically gnomes. You know, gnomes have more than one enclave on Dragonlance. But Mount Nevermind is the most, the best known one for the gnomes. That is the one. If nine times out of ten, if you see a Grin gnome, you know, the Mount Nevermind's that way. Yeah, but no, definitely the metallurgy. That that's a good point. I never would have thought of that, John. Um, as I said, him being our resident science guy, um, that would be massive for Earth Prime to find out. To have what and and what did you say that was the temperature mark of lava again? Between uh, thirteen hundred and two thousand two hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, and the melting point of titanium is three thousand degrees Fahrenheit, and the melting point of tungsten uh, is six thousand degrees. So if they made an alloy of titanium and tungsten, they're not using lava to make it. They're probably using electrical induction, <clears throat> something like that. Yeah, or they got has something. You know, or, dragon breath. Hey, they take dragon breath. They're taking advantage of that you know, much like a certain movie, the hell's has the same dragon in it. 
um, dra you know, Dragon Slayer, uh, you may need a little bit of magic to get those higher temperatures. Well, no, there are no... Well, see, there would be gnomish wizards, but then again, remember, they would keep that under wraps because of the fact that if it's found out you're casting magic and you haven't been to the Towers of High Sorcerer, you're considered a rogue spellcaster. The, the robed... The colored robed wizards, that's usually a shoot-to-kill type thing. Oh, you don't want to take the test? You want it? Fine. Zot. So the gnomes are going to keep that under wraps if they're using magic to help implement their technology. Because they don't want a force of red, white, and black robed wizards. Yeah, trying to attack Mount Nevermind. That would be funny. That would actually be a battle I'd want popcorn for. Watching these wizards try to attack the highest tech enclave on the planet. There are ways to get into those high temperatures. Uh, some blast furnaces can get in that range um, in the core. Uh, but yeah, like Bruce said, maybe you know. Let, uh, currently, we use electro electric, uh, basically um, variations of hitting it with lots of electricity and making it melt. Uh, um, and when about did, would that have started? Because that would that, that sounds like a PL five thing. That that didn't sound like that came out before nineteen fifty. Oh, uh, smelting! It's look at the, the hard one. Smelting tungsten. Let's see what it says. Smelting tungsten. Uh, metal forging tungsten. There yeah, you go. might also want to check uh, iridium. It's a very hard yeah, metal. Yeah. Um, uh, compact vacuum arc melting system. Um, you know what? How do you? Yeah. Uh, oh, here's something from chemistry. Uh, how do you melt things with high melting points? Um, because yeah, I mean that would depend on because you know if they have geothermal generators to get their power, and I've done this for my bureau campaign. The first Amer the first. Geothermal generator in America didn't come out until 1893, which is squarely before. There's there's a trick you can pull because they're different. If you use a high if you use a high density metal uh, that has a lower boiling point, you can float your lighter density metal on top, and then you can get higher temperatures that way. So one method is to use a pool of high boiling point uh, metal and basically you put the stuff you want to melt on top of that and it melts into it and it floats on top and then you can scrape it off. Okay. I mean, there's other, but the trouble is getting those high temperatures and that only really happens in a blast furnace. And it almost means you have to use, you're not, you're using, you can't use silicates. You got to use, you can't use carbon. You have to use uh, special forms of silicate and so forth. Basically, High temperature silicate uh, ceramics for that. Uh, you need something with an even higher melting point than tungsten to contain it. So we're not talking anything simple. You know, we're talking something that's you know that's really complex to do, even at even at uh, at uh, lower. But, oh, but the the using electricity to kind of you went up on the tangent here. That electricity to melt these things. When about did that come out? I'm I'm look I'm trying I'm looking at that right now. Uh, oh. That definitely sounds like a PL five type thing, and we already determined that they got well into PL five technology with jet aircraft. Uh, here we go. Uh, oh, 
they actually were able to. Oh, I love it. They actually were able to extract it with acid. So they actually were able to refine it with acid. But that really wasn't really worthwhile. So basically, I would say. There we go. Um, wonderful. It's complex. Because you're working with ore. Oh. They do work with an acid. They work with an acid to break it, to get, they extract it from the ore, and then they use, um, uh, they ran into a powder, which they then, uh, the powder itself has, actually has a, oh, wonderful. They use rotary steam, for a rotary furnace under a stream of hydrogen. Oh, that's just to refine it. That's just to get to the point where you actually can melt it down to something. Uh, where was this? From the best I can tell, it's probably turn of the century. Basically, it probably falls into the Bessemer process for aluminum. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's PL4. Yeah, still. So we already know that they're high, the gnomes are high PL4, very low PL5 with jet engines. So, and I think the first jet I wanted to, First, like jet aircraft it was during World War II, 1940 something, like 1940s, 1944, I think, was the first viable jet aircraft, and it was used during the war. So, if that one launched himself with, you know, out of Mount Nevermind and flew, they've got 19, the potential for 1940s tech, while everybody else is still in the 1200s. So, yeah, even getting a Tinker Gnome, fringe worthy Tinker Gnome. He still would just, you know, like a fish to water with modern tech, you know, Earth Prime or whatever. Yeah, it looks like it was 1912. They finally were able to, to come up with a process that actually would allow them to actually make tungsten metal, you know, ingots and so forth. So, it's, yeah, definitely at late TL, PL, uh, PL4. Yeah. So, yeah, that just, that the, the tech level of gnomes and then you get a fringe-worthy one, and he's there, part of the party now. As I said, don't let him handle, you know, taking apart your car or anything. But even then, just he would have at least the theoretical knowledge. And you get him up to speed. That would still be a relative asset to... Because they'd have... Chemistry and metallurgy, they'd have out down cold. As I said, their theoretical knowledge is fine. It's when they put it to practicum that things team tend to go south with gnomes. Bruce mentioned iridium. And the thing is, if you find titanium, you're going to find iridium. You're going to find uh, osmium because they all are. They're all in the same family. They all tend to, to tend to group being well. To be, you, you, if you find one, you'll find the okay. others. So yeah, and titanium uh, is a bit more. It looks like titanium actually is harder to, to extract than uh, than tungsten. So yeah, it's another one of the things. But again, we figured it out by the turn of the century. So again, it's PL and L, PL, late PL four tech, tech. Yeah, they've got from making this stuff. So those steam cans are using a tungsten titanium alloy. The tungsten for the temperature and titanium for the strength, and some mixture that allows them to use a high, basically create a, a steam cannon that can shoot 500 yards. And after watching the, the the MythBusters trying to make a steam can that barely shot 100 yards, well, they're not good at everything. Yeah, I know, I know, but still, it, it's there's a lot of tech that goes into that stuff. 
Uh, you definitely have to have a valve of some sort to contain the steam until you got enough pressure. Yeah. And then you got to know when to lay the, open the valve up, and it's got to be a big valve because you need to let it all go at once. So it's a valve the same size as the chamber holding the steam, yeah. more or less. And you have to learn that through a lot of experimentation and a lot of dead gnomes. Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling that the gnomes probably have a very, they, they probably breed like rabbits just because they need to keep their population up. Do the blowing up constantly. Gnomish metallurgy is something you know they're, they're used to working with with lava. You know we you know we, that's something that no one works with in, on, on our world. No one, I mean, except for a few experimenters who experiment making their own lava to see what happens when you pour it on various things. Yeah. Because it's hard to actually go to a volcano and collect it. Yeah, 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 and have it keep it liquid. Well, no, that's the thing. See, that that's you know, you know what the low scene gets, as they say. It's like, yeah, let the intern get that. No, 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 no. But uh, no, as I said, that's one of the questions that and Bruce usually throws it at me. Okay, you've got this saying. What are you? What is Unita going to get out of going to this world? Even if you don't want to, you know, try to point knowledge, you know, point tender and gnomes to work for you, the vast metallurgical and chemical knowledge of the gnomes. Their theoretical knowledge is advanced as all get out for this world. As I said, you've got people with 1200s level technology, middle age technology, and the gnomes are late World War II. So, yeah, somebody with that much vast knowledge, even if you don't bring a gnome with you, you just read their chemical their, their chemical and metallurgical files, they'd be like, wait a minute, this metal can do what? This alloy that you made? Well, yeah, so let me show you over here how we did it. And it's like, just give me the notes. Yeah. Scan them and off you go. Yeah. And the fact they actually have tools to, you know, because I imagine they cast those cannons. Well, yeah, you have to but, make the machinery in order to cast the cannons, yeah. So, trouble, trouble with all cannons and all castings is that there's mold lines, which means they now need to go in and finish them off, which means they have tools hard enough to finish them off with. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That's kind of who watches Watchmen-type mentality. Yeah, if you've got metal, you have to have tools in order to shape and mold that metal. Yes. Oh, just, yeah. just not, not just, yeah, not just finish off, but just polish. the inside. I bet those barrels are smooth bores. I mean, you know, rifling is going to be fun with it. Oh, you know, God. I, I, steam gun. Rifling. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. But no, but I imagine they probably, they smooth out the inside. They probably have some, they probably have the equivalent of a large diamond plunger a wooden plunger covered in diamond just to smooth out the inside of the of those barrels so that at least you know there's no jagged bits that cause the, the rounds to, to catch yeah you know when they fire them and the outside's probably all the outside's not plain we all know that it's not going to be plain they're going to jazz it up oh, yeah. they're going to put decorations on it they're going to carve it which means they have carving tools that can carve titanium tungsten and alloy by hand probably Okay, I'm going to ask this real quick. I mean, yeah, it's... Uh, what would it take? Would there be anything in our modern day that could harm... Now, what is this? Titanium tungsten alloy? What on our 
world, which we will use for Earth Prime, even though technically their setting's a little higher. What on our world could puncture and or hurt titanium tungsten alloy? That's it. Just something diamond-tipped? Well, you, you already talked about it. Um, tungsten. Yeah, tungsten. Pure tungsten would be hard, fairly hard. Uh, tungsten with that with the diamond with with the uh, diamond tip would would really be good. Okay, so it would. So as I said, we're coming into a PL two medieval, and then we find this where it's like, wait a minute. The and and your chemist or your metallurgist on the team would be like, wait a minute. You've got something that it would take a diamond tip tungsten diamond tip tungsten to scratch, and otherwise it's a medieval tech world. And and don't forget, there's a lot of uh, uh, material uh, that is you know monstrous that's also you know of interest. Uh, no one's really explained how green slime eats metal the way it does. It's really fast. We're talking some, we're talking some serious molecular, and it doesn't hurt flesh at all. Now that could be very useful in some of the more. Uh, um, you know, in, in a in a industrial setting where you don't have to worry about you know da- endangering your workers. Uh, likewise, what is it about um, you know the uh, rust monsters that I turns, was just thinking of that? Yeah, oh, turns oh, me- yeah. any metal into basically nothing. I mean, there's uh, uh, if if this could if this could actually work in some radioactive metallic salts. Then it might it might be a magical way of getting rid of radiation, or encapsulate or encapsulating and sequestering it. Yeah, same difference. Yeah, so. I mean, I, there, there's all kinds of things that we know that a bullet um, uh, fin uh, properly treated can become a magical shield. So there's probably some protective materials that can be made to hold molecular acids and such uh, that are can be harvested from animals in a magical world where you wouldn't normally be able to even produce them. But, I mean, just because you take a magical be- creature to another world, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily no longer able to exhibit those so-called magical qualities. Yeah, and like they, the rust monster with the little frond-like antennas that they touch something and it turns to rust and eat the rust. Well, it's like, that's magic. That's magic. But it might be that there's a material that is that is made as a result of that magic that does the work, and that material might be able to be harvested. Yeah, I mean, the green slime could be... could The slimes could just be... Uh, operating m- much like you know nano machines, they go and grab a, you know they go and break the bonds and start eating you know basically you know um, bucket brigading the atoms off the off the, whatever metal is touching and moving it through the system. You know it will generate heat once it leaves a magical world. It's going to generate heat. It might it might uh, generate heat in the magical world. Those are cold dungeons, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, but yeah, yeah. But, you know, when you break atomic atomic bonds, you have a lot of energy in them, and breaking those atomic bonds will definitely generate heat. Well, that's the thing. Fire can destroy green slime usually in the first couple rounds. If I remember, I haven't used green slime in a campaign in a long time. Yeah, that would mean that somehow they have the ability to absorb that heat. Yet, 
fire or acid, I believe, destroys green slime once you get Well, the heat would be more, I would say, the heat's more going to be in the metal than in the green slime. Because that's where the breaking's happening, yeah. in the metal. So the metal will get hot. And metals usually a good conductor of heat, so just, you know, most metals are good conductors of heat, and it'll just pass it on through. So the metal will, will start getting hot. And if you're wearing armor, your first notice is that your feet are getting hot. Oh, green slime's eating my armor. Great. Wonderful. Uh. Or usually, well, a lot of green slime I know is, tends to drop from above and drip on you, and then yeah. So, you know, oh, the, you know. I looked at the, yeah, you know, I'm looking up the titanium tungsten. Uh, there is actually tungsten titanium alloy. Uh, if we're looking at the range that we're talking about, it's going to be mostly uh, mostly tungsten with some titanium to give it strength. So you know, but still, it's it, it, it definitely will have a higher melting point, and it'll be tough as nails to work with. Yeah. And I think actually titanium is stronger than tungsten, though it has a lower melting point. It's one of the weird things. So you actually may have titanium tools rather than tungsten tools okay. working on it. It's, it, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's, you can set fire to diamond. Just think about that one for a second. What's so special about that? Diamond's just carbon. Get it hot enough, yeah. it's going to burn. Yeah, it will scratch. It'll scratch all these metals. Well, yeah, it will because yeah. it's really hard, but it burns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, besides the point. So yeah, yeah, you got green slimes which which may or may not be using magic to do the thing. They may be doing chemistry. You know, uh, there are there are acids that will dissolve metals fairly fastly, uh, fairly fast. Quickly, uh, John, quickly. You, yes, quickly, <laughs> quickly, uh, but they also will produce a lot of heat in the process and typically fire. Yeah, so they're it's doing something that on Earth we can we can kind of can do with some with certain acids, uh, but those acids those chemical compounds usually end up with a large explosion in the process. Yeah. Uh, so, so they you know so I have a feeling there's a little bit of magic going on there with those with those green slimes. Still, you know. Uh, they may still be able to d disassociate, like Bruce said. You know, okay, they can't do as fast as they're doing now as they do as they do on their and on their home world. But uh, you know, even on Earth Prime, they still can disassociate metals quicker than other processes. And yeah, maybe they can. Maybe we can get a breed of version that loves eating the byproducts of uh, of uh, atomic of you know, nuclear of uh, uh, fission reactors. And sequestering them into their bodies, and then you know we can then just well bury them, or send them out to them to the portal. I don't know. Well, once you send out radioactive waste to the portal, anyways, it's going to convert to the nearest non-radioactive isotope. So I wonder why you're saying this with the green, you know, with you know, getting rid of radioactive. It's like just ship. So there's places where it means you're saying barrels full of dirt. And if you get them to go, if they can just, you know, squeeze into that dirt and eat, and eat them that way, you know, then you don't have to worry about carrying barrels or just carry barrels of green slime instead. Anyway, and also some folks will say, well, I don't want to get rid of that radioactive, radioactive stuff because we can use it for like atomic battery, nuclear batteries. And it's a valid point. The a lot of the st a lot of stuff that comes out of uh, fission reactors can be can be reprocessed. Um, 
the trouble with reprocessing ends up with uh, things like plutonium. And that stuff, that really fizzes really good. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Six and one half does another. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we, it may not be a problem 20 years down the line. We may actually, everything may be, you know, re- renewable energy and bioenergy from discovered to melon, you know, systems. So, yeah. Depends on, you know, we're dealing with, with alien technology being brought to, back to Earth Prime, to Victorian Prime, whatever. It's going to change how power is generated right. completely. Oh, no, we're going to want to be able to generate power cleanly without waste products like, you know, with coal and other fossil fuels. So, yeah, once you get energy production changed, again, it's the whole thing. All boats rise at high tide. If you mess with one discipline, other disciplines must rise just by the nature of technology upgrade to accommodate that one discipline going up. But as always, there's always going to be various plants that do certain medicinal things. I mean, you know, that's why we send people to the Amazon. They're looking for new funguses and plants that have pharmaceutical properties that can then be used for various Oh, yeah, folks, if you want to see a good movie on that, Medicine Man from the 90s with Lorraine Bracco and Sean Connery. Very good movie. Yeah. All right. Okay. Another subject killed, as Blix used to say, so we'll wrap this up. The adding Fringeworthy to the Dragonlance setting, preferably during the War of the Lance era from 351 to 350-B-353- AC, because that is the most generally well-known part of the Dragonlance saga, will allow your characters to meet up with unique races and their creations and their tendencies, such as the gnomes with, as John pointed out, incredibly heat-resistant alloys, and the kender with a total natural immunity to fear. Of course, you know, with their ADHD and the, you know, total lack of sense of personal property, you kind of have to weigh that out. But still, that would be an interesting thing to find a creature totally immune to fear. At the most, when a kender does feel fear and it takes a lot, it's indigestion. But still, introducing Fringeworthy into Dragonlance, the world of Kryn, will allow characters and players to see this world in a new light because with discussing it with these three, I ended up gaining insight on how to run even just a regular extra-dimensional-based Dragonlance campaign. As I said, if you have questions, comments, feedback, which we always love, contact us at our Yahoo groups, our Google groups, on iTunes, where you may download this, Fringeworthy RPG fans, as a, feedback, feedback, feedback. We love that. It helps us. I will have one more world to do, and my next one will be the world of Eberron. We will also have more episodes for you next week. But until then... This podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and make all attributions to... Gaming on the Frontier. 
The views, information, concepts, or opinions expressed during Gaming on the Frontier are solely those of the individuals involved.